welcome to this episode of Sea Trade Maritime Masterclass. My name is Emma Howe, Director of Digital Sea Trade Maritime. Over the next few minutes, I look forward to discussing with Darren Shelton, Chief Product Officer and co founder of Fuel Trust, his 26 years in the maritime industry and his top tips for anyone wanting to progress within this fascinating sector. We will also touch on his role as ambassador for Sea Trade Maritime Club and how he hopes to grow this initiative. So, Darren, I've been looking forward to interviewing you, mainly as your route to the maritime industry was not clearly defined when I looked at your biography from a young age. But now, with over a quarter of a century under your belt, I think it'd be fair to say you're qualified to comment. So take us back to 1996, when you launched your maritime career at Philip Green Shipping. Tell us about your move to maritime and why, please. Well, Emma, thanks for having me. And I had to chuckle when you said a quarter of a century. That suddenly sounded like a really long time to me. (laughs) Um, And I suppose it has been. You know, I grew up in deep East Texas, a long way from anything that anybody would call a waterfront. And so the shipping world was kind of out of sight and out of mind to me. I moved to Houston and I had some friends who had gotten in this maritime business that I knew nothing about, but it was interesting to me. And so I let it be known that I would like to give that a whirl. And I waited Agency jobs are not something that necessarily come up every day. And so I had to be patient. But when the opportunity came, I jumped in. Bullet Green was the first agency that I went to work for at the time of a smaller kind of boutique agency. They had several offices and it was an excellent introduction for me to the industry. We were doing a lot of chemical parcel tankers at that time along with some dry bulk ships, grain, things of that nature. And so it gave me a very quick, deep overview of the industry and how it worked. And as you said, you know, this was not something I would have ever thought about getting into when I was a much younger man. And yet now, after a quarter of century, um, it's been something that I've never gotten out of after I got into it. Thank you. So in 2001, you joined Moran Shipping Agencies, where you spent the next 21 years. What kept you interested in one company and how were you able to grow your profile and career within that one company? Yeah, you know, Moran was then and is still now the largest privately owned shipping agency in North America. And so when I went to Moran, it had been going through a growth, opening up new offices along the Gulf Coast and then also even on the West Coast. And so Iran has just been the right place to stay for such a long time. It is a very large, upper mid-size shipping agency. And so the opportunities for me, I've been a manager in three different offices before I moved into more senior management roles where I have worked a lot on quality initiatives and digital initiatives. 
And it's given me the opportunity to get very involved in industry. I have been a part of the Lone Star Harbor Safety Committee for the better part of 15 years. I currently serve as the chair of that group. And those are opportunities that have been afforded to me because of Moran Shipping. Our CEO, Jim Black, is a a titan in the industry, highly respected at so many levels. Of course, I've had a lot of doors that were opened to me because of his relationships. And so it's just been a great place. Of course, you know, what I have learned while at Moran has led to all of the opportunities that have sprang from and extended from the work that I've done handling at this stage thousands of ships for probably thousands of principals. So it's just been a great place. Moran's a fantastic place. Interestingly enough, Moran's one of those places that very few people leave and several of them come back. I've watched that multiple times through the years that kind of boomerang uh, effect from a good company. Exactly. It sounds to me that whilst you were within Moran, you had a very can-do attitude and, dare I say, would put your hand up to new opportunities. Would that be something that you would recommend to people entering the industry to really just try things and see what kind of resonates and works best for them? Oh, absolutely. You know, I've had the opportunity. I've At this stage, you know, I've probably hired and trained, you know, we'll go with 50 people. It could be a little more, a little less, but the point being that I've always recommended to individuals, look, you don't have to figure this all out on day number one. Get into it, ask questions. Some people have this intimidation of, oh, I don't know what I'm doing and I can't express my ignorance by asking you're not going to learn if you don't ask. Mm. And if you do learn, it's going to take you twice as long because you weren't willing to just say, hey, can you fill in this knowledge gap for me? And then it's very healthy to have a level of ambition that is consistent with the place where you are. And clearly employers are looking for people who not only like the job they're doing, but they want to engage at deeper levels. That's how you learn is through that experience, which obviously if you lack ambition, you're not going to get much of. And so I've always counseled new hires to come in with an open mind, take notes, ask questions, And then kind of let the industry take you where you fit. A lot of people look at careers with a very, you know, linear idea of it's going to be, you know, A, B, C, D, E. And then fortunately for some people, that's just not the case. It's more shoots and ladders. You go A, B, and then jump down to Q before you hop back up to K and wind up at T. And there's nothing wrong with that if you are learning and growing along the way, because it gives you a very robust experience that probably fits your skill set, which then makes you attractive for jobs that other people might not be quite so well suited for. That's a really good point. And I suspect, as you have been in the industry for a long time now, that actually the career path that may have been more linear 25 years ago, nowadays, 
is different because of the advent of digitalization and other sectors that have grown within the industry. Would you say that's fair to say as well? Absolutely. You know, the industry has changed. <laughs> uh, it's not even sufficient to say so much. Um, there are in some areas just literal, you know, black, white type contrast for how much it has changed so much. And I sit on the board of a local college where we're constantly looking at the educational landscape. And today there are so many opportunities educationally to prepare people vocationally that look nothing like what it did a quarter of a century ago. Yeah. Um, and I always, regardless of the field, encourage everyone, think digital. You don't have to be a software programmer, but you need to have a comfortable confidence in your capabilities around technologies. Nobody expects you to be a savant. You need to be sufficient for the role that you're going into. We'll get back to the interview in a second, but I just wanted to take a moment to tell you about the Sea Trade Maritime Club, an exclusive platform to connect with other high-profile members through strategic networking opportunities and closed-door leadership roundtables, providing opportunities to meet, discuss business and develop relationships with new business partners at all of the Sea Trade Maritime events globally. Contact us on globalmaritimeclub.com for more details. Right, let's get back to the interview. You've only got to look at your LinkedIn profile and biography to see that you're a master of volunteering. You're on several associations, you're a frequent speaker at events, and I know you're a prolific poster on LinkedIn, both yourself and sharing and liking other people's posts as well. How on earth do you balance work with outside interests close to your heart? And what would you advise your, or how would you advise your team to find that work-life balance that's so important? Well, that's a great question. And balance is all about equilibrium. It's about finding a place of equality, as it were, with different things in your life so that you can maintain balance. Otherwise, you're out of balance, you're unstable, and you're not going to make forward progress very well. And for a lot of people, if they're not careful, it's easy to lean into certain extremes. And extremes are actually easy, whereas balance is difficult. So I have found in my own life, I've only got so many hours a day. That's all there is to it. And you've got to figure out how you can organize your time in such a way that you can, with good conscience, do service to the areas that you're trying to help. And I've had to learn to say no to certain things. And even things that I've said yes to, there still has to be some constraints. And with exception to areas where you've accepted a responsibility at the highest level, you can look at those lesser roles and say, I'm only here to do this thing and I cannot worry about all of the other stuff that might need to get done. And when you have that kind of a perspective, it allows you to do what you came to do well without overextending yourself 
which could lead to you being able to do more with different organizations. So you can either do a lot with one or you can do a little with several and still be of use. And it's very much a balancing act. That's probably an opportune moment to ask you, in which case, if you were to advise your younger self, what would you advise? Wow, that's a really good question, because I can assure you, you know, if I was able to advise my younger self, there's quite a few areas we would cover. But as it relates to this one, I did not get as involved. I mean, I've volunteered for a lot of things for a long time. And I've gotten more involved, as is commonly the case, in my latter years, my more recent years. And so if I had to go back, I might tell my younger self, especially as it relates to this balance, when you've got a young family, that's probably not the best time for you to be overextending yourself with a lot of other things. You've got to focus on your family. You've got to focus on your job to create a certain amount of wealth and savings for all of the obvious needs. But that doesn't mean that young people cannot consciously go in and begin to do things. However, one area that I would caution against is this idea that, hey, I'm young, I'm energetic, and I can go do it all. You need a certain amount of experience to do certain things very well. It doesn't mean you have to wait forever, but you need to wait long enough that you're not putting yourself in a position that you're not yet qualified for. And I say that because I've seen some let their ambition exceed their experience to their detriment, and they weren't able to do all of the stuff that maybe they could have done had they been a little more timely in their approach to certain things. That was a good answer. And I'll tell you why, because that feeds into the question I wanted to ask around when you co-founded Fuel Trust. Now, this was obviously after your time with Moran. And that, to me, after what you've just said, gives a sense of getting that experience before you move to do something different and to have that experience and that wealth of knowledge. Is that why you chose that time to start Fuel Trust? Well, it's a fair question, but I have to confess that when we launched Fuel Trust, it was more about here's a problem that we see an opportunity to present a solution for. And of course, it was driven and built upon the experience that informed that observation. It wasn't so much that I felt like, okay, now's the time. You know, now's my time. I've waited and I've done. It was more about, hey, this is a problem that needs a bottom-up approach. And it was only because, to your prevailing point, it was only because of the experience that we were able to see this not only needs to be done, but this specifically is how it needs to be done. These are the stakeholders that have got these certain interests. These are the problems that we see coming quite literally on the horizon. And this is the approach that we think will be most palatable to be accepted by industry. Now, to be fair, I still wear a hat with Moran because those relationships are so critical. That experience is so valuable. And while the great majority of my time is spent on fuel trust, you can't 
leave behind, or at least I've not found it beneficial in this case, to leave behind fully the things of the past. You want to maintain those relationships as you move forward into the future. That makes sense. And actually, you said you wanted or you co-founded Fuel Trust at a time to solve a solution. And that, I'm assuming, is digitally steering maritime to decarb through data. Could you perhaps tell us a little bit more about why you started Fuel Trust and for what purpose? I've been, as we've already said a couple of times in this for now 26 years. And that means that when I got in the industry, we still had telex, typewriter, and radio officers. We have none of those things now. I have seen the tech bubbles in maritime and seen the goods, the bad, and the uglies. And maritime has often been accused of being lethargic as it relates to adopting technology. And yet we are now at a place globally where the only way to solve the big problems are through digitally driven solutions. And so when we look at maritime and we consider the problems around decarbonization, et cetera, they require a level of transparency that the shipping industry has not necessarily been comfortable with. So our goal with Fuel Trust is to do just that, Fuel Trust. Use technology in a way that enables business to get done better, faster, while also allowing the human side of the industry to maintain permissioned privacy around the proprietary relationships so that they don't feel overexposed in their effort to do things that they have not been able to do before. And so we have enabled technologies like artificial learning and blockchain to give people a way to share data that helps the transactions while not doing a disservice to their own relevant secret sauces, if that makes sense the way that I said it. Yes, it does. Thank you. I'll give you an opportunity to give a a shout out to your website URL at this point as well to find out some more details. Thank you for that. Our website is fueltrust.io and there's a resource page there. We've got multiple products. You can take a look at our team and we're very excited. We just celebrated our two-year-old anniversary, you know, our birthday of sorts, which in the technology world, if you're two years old, you're still very much just a baby, but we're very (laughs) pleased with the progress that we've been able to make so far. Oh, well, congratulations on the two-year anniversary. And then last but not least, you were recently appointed an ambassador of the Sea Trade Maritime Club and congratulations for that. What does that mean for you? It's another kind of element on your time, but what do you hope to bring to the club? Well, you know, I am excited to be a part of this organization and I think the prevailing goal of creating a sense of community at executive level leadership to drive solutions and initiatives forward is something that's very much needed. There has to be a place for curated conversations so that ideas can be shared. What I would like to help the club do is grow their presence in North America. You know, my network is largely in the Gulf Coast. And of course, as people move around globally and nationally, 
that extends. But the part of the nation where I'm in right now, uh, the Houston area, shipping community here has just really evolved over the last 25 years. You've got a lot of shipping companies that have offices and executives here now that weren't necessarily here 25 years ago. So the goal is going to be to present the opportunity of the GMC, let people recognize that there's going to be more, whether it's events of various sorts where executives can break bread, share ideas, hear ideas. A lot of executives don't have time to go do deep dives on certain things that they know they very much need to understand and allow them to grow together in that knowledge base. So if I can use my network to help accomplish that, I'm very happy to do so. Thank you for your time today. I'm sure that the listeners to this podcast will be equally fascinated by the conversation. So I really do thank you for your time and wish you a great day ahead. You're very kind. Thank you for allowing me to be a part. Thanks, Darren. Darren.